0: Welcome to My Ed Expert, specializing in what's possible in education. By merging research, practice, and passion, we provide insights from top educational thought leaders for right-now implementation. Now, here's your host, author Susie Pepper-Rollins.
1: I am so glad you joined us today. So many schools are somewhere in the process of implementing one-to-one classrooms. Some are just starting. Others have been at it for a few years now. Of course, we all want this to be a really successful experience for our learners and for us. So I'm so excited to have Dr. Monica Burns with us today. She is one of the world's leading experts on maximizing digital tools in the classroom. She's going to help us out a little bit and provide us with her top tips for the successful one-to-one classroom. How are you, Dr. Burns? Oh, I'm so glad to be here with you. Well, I'm excited and this is an encore with her because her first one had so many listens and it was just so wonderful. So I wanted her to us to dig in a little bit more on this. And I want to tell you a little bit about Dr. Burns. Um it's hard to find anybody who has a deeper expertise than Monica. She's the founder of Class Tech Tips, and that website is classtechtips.com, and her Twitter is at Class Tech Tips. So she's consistent, if nothing else. Um, she has written a lot of books. Uh, her most recent one is with ASCD Tasks Before Apps. She's written a couple books with, with Corwin, one of them being hashtag formative tech. And what I really appreciate is she's also done books on literacy strategies. And Monica, when you hear her talk, I'm just going, I'm not about your girl, but you know, she has a deep passion for kids, and she's been on the front lines of implementing this one-to-one classroom. So there's really no one better to talk to than Dr. Byrne. So I want to jump right in with some questions here. Why do we even want to do this, Monica? What's the best thing about a one-to-one classroom? So what gets me so excited about using digital tools in the classroom
0: is providing more opportunities for students, more ways for them to access information that's meaningful, to them and that's at their level, that is connected to them because they need to listen to something to understand it better, because they need to see something to understand it better. And it gives lots of ways for students to apply what they've learned and show what they know.
1: Well, that's great. And, you know, we're going to be, before you know, at the beginning of the school year, I'm in the South. So we like to start our kids when it's 117 (laughs) degrees out, you know, get them at those buses, you know, when it's super hot. But I know other people don't do that, which is really smart. So in the beginning of the school year, and what, you know, how do we get started in terms of parameters? I know that's got to weigh on teachers a little bit. Like, we're all excited about using the technology, but what what's some guidance you can give teachers on classroom protocols?
0: So I think it's so important to be realistic and to acknowledge the logistical challenges that might come up. It's silly to pretend like everything will be perfect all day, every day, just like any type of classroom management challenges you might come across or that might evolve over the course of the school year. So keeping that in mind and being realistic and saying what's gonna work for me right away, what's something that I wanna build my confidence at, you know, working with students when it comes to digital tools, and of course, taking some of the things that we've always done um, and making sure that they align to what we might do with digital tools. So when it comes to kicking off you know, those first six weeks of school, um, really with a lot of strength <laughs> and patience behind it, um, building routines doesn't just have to be how to line up to go to the lunchroom in an elementary school classroom or how to turn in work um, in a high school classroom. It's really about making connections to all the expectations across the school year, and that can include digital tools. So it might take a little bit longer for your elementary school students to find their spot on the rug during those first few weeks of school, but we're all patient in those moments. We know that there's a routine that's in place that we need to help students through and give them an opportunity to practice. So I always encourage teachers to take that same mindset of getting kids like in the zone, building routines strategically with technology the same way we would if we were talking about composition notebooks.
1: You know, um, listening to this, I know some teachers, if we're new to this, and I was in a district not long ago, and this will be their very first year to implement this. So It's got to be a concern with some teachers about what do I do if students get off task? They're on a different app. They're on a different site, you know, than they're supposed to be. That's got to be a worry. Do you have some, some helpful tips on that? Absolutely. And so
0: there's definitely challenges when it comes from, you know, that sort of classroom management. And my kind of feeling about it when I was a classroom teacher, you know, is that there's going to be moments where we could do the same thing on pencil and paper, right? And it, that we would do on a digital tool. And hopefully it's not substitution like that all the time. And there's reasons we are using digital tools to elevate those experiences. But if I taught, you know, for seven years without uh, a uh, iPad or interactive whiteboard in the classroom. Well, I can keep working through this material without it as well. Same thing if the power goes out, right? So if there's a student who's not going, who's you know not going to be able to handle being independent right away, we're going to work with them to build those skills, to be independent and responsible. Well, then we can have them working in a more traditional manner. I would hate to think that anyone is being punished by getting technology removed from them because that's not what it's about. It's about really giving kids opportunity to practice using uh, tools right in the context of their learning. So the same way that in the past, you know, if you had a delivery of newspapers to your classroom and students were searching for a current events article, you know, a couple of your kids might flip to that one page with a news story you don't want them to read. Um, we would use those same sort of strategies of being proactive, of modeling best practices, of thinking aloud for students um, when we have students working within online online spaces. So right, setting expectations, having consequences, modeling um, best practices, those are things that happen without technology, and they can absolutely happen with technology too.
1: So this may seem like a crazy question, but something that I was thinking about is, you know, we get back to our our buildings and we want to get our rooms ready. And, and with technology, are, are there some ways that we should, or not maybe should, but some recommendation, recommendations you would have for room arrangements? Yeah. So I think when
0: it comes to having students on devices, we still want them to be able to move around, to be able to jump into a small group, to sit side by side with someone and be able to talk about what's going on on their screen the same way they might lean over during a literature circle or book club meeting and talk about their book or be side by side during a science experiment. So I think being flexible with seating um, is really important. So students can still jump into groups, move around. With their devices. You know, there's certain logistical things that you want to think of if you are projecting something on a large screen that you want students to take a peek at and look Over the course of the day, you'll want to make sure that that is clear and easy for everyone to view. Um, And you'll also want to think about some logistical things when it comes to charging devices and what your routines are if a student's device isn't charged when they come to school or if the Wi-Fi is down one day um, because it's stormy out or whatever it might be. Those are all things to
1: take into consideration when planning. And you know, just just something else that just hit me. I've I've been in buildings where uh, it's bring your own device. So are there are there different challenges for those buildings that are going that route? So I think when it comes
0: to BYOD, you know, some people will view you know certain. Challenges and other people will say, you know, there's benefits to it as well. Students are using a device that's their own. It's within an ecosystem that they're learning how to manage independently. You know, there's a lot of wonderful things that come from that. Um, The logistical challenges tend to be getting everyone connected to a network, um, choosing um, online resources that are accessible from multiple devices. So I try my best when I am working with teachers. I'll be in Texas the next week and a half doing a few different um, sessions and professional development learning opportunities for teachers. And so in those cases, when I come in to a school or I come into a regional event or you know national event, I try my best to share things that are device agnostic or BYOD friendly. So Anyone can pull up that um, movie making tool on their web browser or this video response tool works on an iPad and a Chromebook. So thinking about what the task is, right? What is it I really want students to do? And then saying, okay, here's a couple ways they can do it is a nice way to work around everyone having a different
1: device. Okay, here's a crazy question. This may, this may be a concern for some people. What if I'm new to this and I'm, I'm doing my best on this? I'm a little nervous about it and I realize I think my students know more than me. Is that okay?
0: I think it's an asset, right? The more knowledge that there is in the room, right, the better. And I think being transparent and saying, you know, I'm trying this out. I'm excited for us to jump in and having students say, oh, did you know you could do this? Or when you press this button, that happens, right? Those are things that can be extremely useful. So you might have, say you're working with the same 30 students all day long. You're in an elementary school classroom. You might choose three or four students who are going to be the leaders or the keepers of the knowledge all about one particular app or website so that when there is a moment for troubleshooting, you've already given them time during a free period or during another point of the day to play around, figure out an app, figure out a new website, understand how all the buttons work. So when there's a moment where you might pause and say, I'm not sure how to troubleshoot, you have three or four people in your room. Maybe they're five years old or maybe they're 15 years old who know how to navigate and can help problem solve. I think that's really what it comes down to is saying, right, Things are evolving, things are gonna change. We don't always know um, what's going to be down the line or even what's right in front of us. So it's an empowering opportunity for students. And you know, as troublesome as it might seem when someone's you know hacking something or feels like they broke through um, something, right? That's really an opportunity to say, okay, you have a certain set of skills, you're problem solving, you're creating something, you're doing a workaround. Now let's take that and let's readjust (laughs) and realign that with our priorities
1: inside the classroom. That's great advice. And and we're encouraging problem solving right there, which is wonderful. I noticed, speaking of that, that when I was on your website, Class Tech Tips, and if you guys haven't been to that, it's a fabulous website. I noticed that you have an online class. Could you tell us just a little bit about the scope of that? Yeah, so last
0: year, or I should say for many years, I've worked with um, some of the folks who are now on the team at Participate, and last year I put together two online courses for them. They're the reboot courses is how we describe them. One is called EdTech Reboot, and one is called Writing Reboot. And what these are designed to do is to help bring in a few different big ideas and really actionable strategies around EdTech in the EdTech Reboot class. So we talk about formative assessment with technology technology, task design with technology, even getting started with virtual reality in the ed tech reboot class. And then the writing reboot class is also about ed tech, but it takes more of a writing and publishing lens. So how can we take um, movie making tools to transform persuasive writing. How can we use digital tools to write about our math experiences? So the two courses are self-paced, which is how I like to do my learning and how I know many teachers like to right, move at their own pace when they have some time in their schedule. There's movies, there's mini podcasts, there's downloadables, action items. And it's great because you can earn your badge from the folks that participate. So an EdTech reboot badge or writing reboot badge. Some schools are signing up, you know, multiple people from their district or are submitting purchase orders and then getting credit hours approved from their school. So it's been really neat to see all the ways that people are making the most of the content um, in the course and really taking some ownership of their
1: professional learning. Well, I think that's wonderful. Builds confidence too. Now, this is a kind of a, a little bit of a turn, but I'm, I'm just kind of thinking of everything we talked about. I'm, I'm visualizing the class. Do you have some ideas for teachers on managing student work? It's, it's coming in. I mean, we're starting the school year. What, what kind of guidance do you have there? Yeah,
0: so some schools are already set with what their kind of learning management system is or what their workflow might look like. So, if you are already in a school that's using something like Google Classroom, for example, you might have a really clear workflow that you're going to use throughout the year, which might be students working on templates that you've created in a Google ecosystem and then having it accessible for you as a teacher to peek in and and look at their work. Other schools you might be choosing, right, or other teachers I should say in their school might be choosing, I'm going to use this particular tool to manage workflow. So maybe you're going to use Seesaw because you're transitioning from more paper and pencil. Kids can snap pictures of their work, post it in their Seesaw journal, start practicing digital citizenship skills as they comment on each other's work. So it really comes down to a few different things. You know, first off is saying, what am I trying to accomplish here with this workflow? Am I trying to collect papers? Am I trying to manage students' digital creations? Um, Do I want all their stuff in one online place? So thinking about your goals first and then saying, what kind of devices do we have? So what's going to work? Is it going to be all of us on Google Classroom on our Chromebooks? Or are we going to have a mix of devices that we share all day? We'll be on something like Seesaw or another LMS. So that comes you know, next in that conversation. And then making a decision to say what's appropriate for that individual group of students. What's going to be the best way for them to talk about their learning, to write about their learning, and then to get their learning into kind of your hands um, when you think about workflow. And one thing that I shared at ISTE this year and I talk about a lot is this idea of saying, you know, when I got a delivery of iPads, right, the magical delivery of iPads, I sometimes call it, to my uh, fifth grade classroom, you know, it was a way that students could send their work to me. And if it was just me getting their work and opening up on a folder on my computer, then it's kind of the same as having a manila folder on my desk and having everyone's papers Mm -hmm. in it, right? Not a huge difference in terms of the workflow. So If you have students working on digital devices, you also have this opportunity for them to share their work with a much larger audience beyond you. So I really encourage people when they're thinking about workflow and what's going to work in their classroom to then add that extra layer of what else are we going to do to share
1: and celebrate student work that we just wouldn't have done before. Okay, great tips. And then thinking you were talking about students writing and things that made me think about, you know, when, when I'm teaching reading, I want those students marking their text, I want to be able to walk around and and sort of see what their thought processes are as they're reading. What can we do when they're using their devices to sort of bring those things about?
0: Well, I think one way to really capture student learning in an authentic manner that's worth exploring, if you haven't used this tool already, is Explain Everything. Um, Explain Everything used to be just on iPads, and it was one of the most popular, you know, iPad apps in education. Now it's also Chromebook friendly, so you could use it on Chromebooks too, if you're in a Chromebook classroom. And what Explain Everything does is it captures everything you write on your screen. So those are your annotations, um, as well as your voice when you're talking about what you're doing and it creates a movie. So this really gives a picture Of student learning. So instead of collecting a bunch of papers that all kind of look the same with annotations in the margin or words underlined or circled, um, you can have students do this on their device, create a short movie where they think aloud and tell you why they underlined something or why they circled something. And then you can hear them talk about this as opposed to having a whole bunch of one-on-one conferences that you might not have time for in the day. Instead, you might have 30 or 60 seconds worth of video that you can listen to to make an instructional decision, who needs extra support, who's ready to move forward um, based on that information that
1: you've gathered. Okay, that's wonderful. Now, we started, when we first started talking today, we, I asked you about the most important thing to know about the one-to-one classroom. This is kind of a tough one. What do you think teachers are most concerned about if they're new to this?
0: Yeah, I think just the everyday logistics of getting everyone what they need on their device is probably the number one concern. And that comes back from to being, you know, how can I get everyone's attention when they have a device that might be more exciting to them than me, right? As part of it, um, when they have that device in front of them. But then also saying, what are we going to do to use this device strategically and connected to content area goals, right? Easier said than done. So part of it is having a plan and it can be trouble, you know, troublesome or it can be tough to have a plan if you aren't quite sure what you're able to do with the devices. So some of it comes down to just saying, all right, what do we have in front of us? What do we have access to? And what can I do that I couldn't do before that also connects to learning goals? And so that's a big part of, I think, just building confidence, building the tool belt. And that tends to be some of the kind of the big getting started concerns that I'm not sure what they can do with this. I'm not sure if I can manage them on these devices because I haven't seen them in action um, before. How do we know if it's working for us? wow, there's a lot of conversation right now about kind of measuring um, the effectiveness of ed tech in the classroom. And I think there's a couple different metrics to keep in mind. So, you know, of course you may be looking at, you know, baseline testing data to say, is this software really improving students' understanding of this type of topic? And, And all those things, which, you know, sometimes can be really useful, but at other moments aren't necessarily giving you all the information that you need, right? So there's things to think about and that you may want to look at to say, how am I empowering students as creators in a way I wasn't before? Or how am I honoring student interests in a way I wasn't before? So I would say that the metrics to measure this, right, can take many forms, but either way, you'll want to make sure you're listening to student
1: voice and their responses as well. Okay. And now I don't want to close this without Hearing from you about some of the newest things that you, you love for EdTech. I want you to tell us something that's caught your eye recently. And I, you just, uh, and for everybody listening here, Monica just posted a Spark video graphic organizer on her site that she just posted. So tell us a little about that and some other things that you've seen lately that are just like super enthused about.
0: Absolutely. So I'm a huge fan of the Spark tools. I had a chance to, you know, speak at the Adobe booth at ISTE this year, and I love sharing the Spark tools because they're free. They're K12 friendly. So you can use them on lots of devices too. Chromebooks, iPads, you name it. And so what I um, shared on your site that anyone can download, it's totally free, is a bundle of four graphic organizers that you can customize for different types of movie making activities with Spark. So super excited to share that. It's one of my favorites. Um, It's one of my super popular ones that I share when I do sessions or visit schools to talk about um, storytelling across the content areas or movie making with Spark Video. And so it connects to one other thing that I'm really excited about, which is Flipgrid. So we talked about creating videos to talk about your learning with Explain Everything or Seesaw or even Spark Video would fall into this category too. But Flipgrid is new. It's also totally free. Um, if you haven't used it recently, that might be new news for um, for your listeners if they haven't used it recently. Because um, earlier this year, it, Flipgrid was acquired by Microsoft, and now their tool, which used to be a per teacher price tag, is now totally free. And what I love about Flipgrid is is it gets kids talking about their learning. You can set it up for you know just. 30 seconds or up to five minutes videos, and they can look into their webcam on their device and tell you all about what they've learned. Now, if You um, don't want to have daily reflections. You might also use Flipgrid for something that's asynchronous. Like I'm using it for book clubs with a task before apps book club this summer, which has been really fun. So teachers from all across the world can pop in and record a video every time they finish a chapter. But if you are using, say, those Spark video graphic organizers and your kids are making movies, Flipgrid also is a workflow solution where you can have kids posting a link to their video or uploading their videos video file, and then anyone can watch, um, I shouldn't say anyone, but anyone with access to the grid, so in your class, it's password protected, can then watch um, the student video and leave feedback. So it's a really special tool that's now totally free and, and definitely one that
1: I'm really excited about. It's it's absolutely caught my eye recently. Well, that's super exciting. I can't wait to see that in action. I'm going to sort of summarize a few things that I've learned from you, and as, as usual, I learned so much from you. And then if you'll add some takeaways i one thing that you've always been consistent about is we're going to use technology strategically to reach our learning goals. So that that's always in the back of in the back of our minds here or what our what our mission is. And I just love your sage advice about when the school year starts, particularly if this is your first year to implement in a one to one classroom to be realistic, be patient. You know, it's all going to kind of work out. Tell us some parting things that you have for our listeners.
0: So one big thing I would say to take into this school year is to think about how you can get kids talking about their learning and how you can use open-ended creation tools. Because some of the you know issues of getting started with technology is that there's so many tools out there and you don't want your tool belt to feel too heavy. So choosing open-ended creation tools that allow kids to capture their voice is a great way to get students telling the story of their learning in lots of different contexts and lots of different activities, um, as well as as giving you an opportunity to hear from every child. So the more that you can choose an open-ended creation tool, maybe it's a movie-making tool or screencasting tool, and the more that you give opportunities for kids to talk and capture their voice, I think the more successful you'll feel on um, bringing in new digital tools into your classroom um,
1: this school year. Which is really what you started with, because the whole point is to provide greater opportunities for all of our students. So that's a great way to to close. And Dr. Burns and I don't want to finish our podcast off without thanking every educator out there for all you do for your kids every day. It is the best job in the world. It's a challenging one. We're both lifelong educators, but we so appreciate all the things that you bring to the classroom every day. Dr. Burns, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me.
0: We are so glad you joined us on this episode of My Ed Expert. For more resources on the ever evolving realm of education, head on over to MyEdExpert.com and get inspired by all of our authors' work through downloads, strategies, and best practices. While
1: you're there, hop on to get updates right to your inbox because you don't want to miss a thing right here on My Ed Expert.